Hello friends, this is Mike Stokes with Wildlife University and today I'd like to talk about um, how to maintain uh, for the long term a loving, healthy, uh, fun relationship. Um, I'm just going to speak primarily in terms of romantic relationships, partnerships, um, but uh, these principles apply in any relationship. So um, the first and most important thing is, this may sound kind of cliche, um, but it's important for a number of reasons, um, this idea of a 50-50 partnership. Um, and those that that division of labor in a partnership um, can be all over the place. You know, one person can make all the money, uh, another person can do all the um, household chores, um, or there can be a mix of all of those things. Um, can make half the money, the other person's partner can hack half the money, split the household chores. But on on every level, there's a 50-50 dynamic. And that, that, that's a real baseline for a healthy relationship. Um, because if you look at unhealthy relationships, there's always a dominance and a submissiveness in some realm, whether it's emotional or physical uh, or mental um, or spiritual. So um, just a little bit about my own story. I was alone for... Um, on and off until my mid-30s, actually till my late 30s, um, and I was always the type of person who would um, give my heart over to somebody who uh, didn't really deserve it. I wanted to be in a relationship so bad that uh, I didn't know how to have a healthy boundary with somebody else around what I needed to be getting in return in order to have a healthy relationship. Now there's this idea in sort of manifestation theory and progressive thought um, that you're 100% responsible for your world. Um, and so here's the subtle distinction. You're 100% responsible for your world, but that includes making sure that you have healthy reciprocal relationships with the people around you. So you're 100% responsible to make sure that you have a 50-50 relationship with your partner when it comes to division of labor. And those divisions go on the lines of physical tasks, emotional support, um, mental supporter tasks, and spiritual supporter tasks. So those can be divided up in any way. You could have one partner that... Um, it's all is handling all the physical details, and if one partner is handling all the physical details, well, the other partner better be filling up that partner with either emotional needs, mainly emotional needs. Those are the two biggies. The two biggies are physical needs and emotional needs. Um, so each partner has to carry their weight. Um, my mistake was to um, just give, 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 and then never literally demand anything in return. So that, in in New Age circles or progressive thought circles, this idea of demanding something of your partner is um, sort of considered a bad word. And you will never have 
a healthy relationship unless you have certain bottom line demands. Um, you know, one of my requirements of my partner is that um, she is not um, nasty with me. Because when um, we used to get into fights, um, she would, you know, go to this place where she was really, you know, name calling and, and just really being mean. Um, and that was just a bottom line for me. You know, if you want to be in relationship with me, we have to figure out a new way of communication so that that's not part of it. Um, now she has her demands for me. Um, and I honor those. So one of the demands that she has for me is that, uh, I respect her, you know, need to take a break if we're in a, uh, a heated conflict, which by the way, we rarely have anymore, but for the beginning of our relationships, while we were sort of sorting out how to negotiate both of our needs, there, there was a lot of that. Um, I think that's a good sort of underlying, uh, foundation to begin with. So number one, if you don't start from a place at least trying to establish a 50-50 dynamic in your relationship, it's never going to work. Either you are going to feel like you're being dominated or your partner's going to feel like they're being dominated. And you can never fully have a relationship where you're fully alive and free if you're feeling dominated or the other person's feeling dominated. One or the other partners is going to um, feel suppressed. And then another sort of underlying principle that should always be your goal in a romantic relationship or any relationship is to leave both parties at the end of any conflict or intense conversation or, or even at the end of a simple interaction, both parties uplifted. So both parties are honored and respected and uh, their life energy is enhanced. Now that's super, it's easy to say, but much harder to do in, uh, in practical terms. But if you have those two goals in mind, in the back of your head, in any relationship, my goal is to make sure that we're both holding our, we're both um, pulling our weight in this relationship and that we're both um, uh, trying to leave the other person empowered. Now, in some cases, you're not going to be able to do that. And that's when a relationship becomes unhealthy. Either you're dominating the other person or the other person's dominating you. Um, if you're listening to this video, you're probably more likely to be the person who was being dominated. But, you know, it goes both ways. I've had relationships where I was dominating other people too. Um, so, uh, that's that. So the next piece is how do you practically do that inside of a relationship? So there's always going to be conflict points. Um, so for example, when my partner and I were uh, sorting out our conflict points, um, I was much more physical on, much more physical, much more focused on physical aspects. Um, you know, uh, how much money were we spending? How much, uh, you know, uh, how many meals were we making at home? How much was she doing? How much was I doing? Uh, and then um, she was much more physical, much more uh, focused on the emotional aspect, like how much um, emotional uh, space 
I tend to be very emotionally supportive to begin with. Obviously, not all men are that way, but she needed more emotional space from me in a lot of ways. Um, so there was times when I needed to learn how to give her emotional space. So there's a lot of different works that I sourced in learning how to have a great relationship. Um, my particular path involved having parents who were just basket cases and one was always dominating the other uh, in one way or another and they never were happy with each other so I for some reason early on I think I adopted my mother's desire to have a healthy relationship that she could never actualize and then after I realized that my parents weren't going to teach me how to do that I spent you know the next 15-20 years trying to figure out how to do that and then now I figured out how to do it so now I'm trying to share it with other people who may have been in the same shoes that I was in 20 years ago um, so, uh, the work that I found after all these years of study that was literally the most important for day-to-day -day maintenance of a relationship is John Gottman's Love Lab work. Um, he spent 30 years observing couples and then he could predict over time with 90% accuracy which couples would stay together and with 70% accuracy the ones that were going to split when they were going to split, which is an incredible statistic. So one of the things that he talks about is this idea of um, each person, when you're in a conflict and you're, you're arguing, one, each one of you has something that's super important, or you could even say sacred to you. He would call it love maps. I like to say it's like that sacred little piece that you're holding inside of you. And the reason that you're getting in a fight, it may look like it's the dishes, or it may look like you know that um, someone is... Um, you know, being more demanding of the other person. But underneath all that is something that is fundamentally a, a need or a demand that you have in the relationship. And so the first thing to do is to try to identify that. It really only takes one partner in the conflict to step back and realize that's what's happening and then, and then try to find it for both of you. So a lot of times that was me and I would um, step back and, and think, I'd realize, okay, we're stuck here. And then I pull back and I think, what is it that I'm holding sacred? And, and, a, and a real example in our relationship is that being uh, who I am and very much committed to my rational mind and c taking my rational mind into um, esoteric fields and applying my rational mind to esoteric fields, a lot of times I would feel like my partner was asking me to let go of my rational mind. And so I, so once I figured this out, I made a request and I asked like, look, we can negotiate anything that you want to negotiate, but here's a fundamental need that I have. I need to be allowed to apply my rational mind to any of the topics that we're, that we're talking about. Now that doesn't mean you have to agree with me. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, go along with what I'm saying, but you can't ask me to shut down my rational mind when we're having an interaction. You have to allow that for me. And then she would come back, and with her, it was pretty much the opposite. You know, I needed, what she needed for me was she needed me to give her space for her emotional, spiritual, symbolic mind to roam. And so whenever we get in that space where we're sort of, um, you know, at each other because here I am with my wanting to put my rational mind around something and her wanting to put her emotional, symbolic, spiritual mind around something, then we would sort of bump up against each other. But over time, we've come to understand, she's come to understand that my rational mind is part of my spirituality. And I've come to understand that her symbolic, emotional mind is part of her 
sort of way she integrates it into her rational self. Um, and that you could say that's very archetypally masculine-feminine. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It's just this dynamic interplay. There's usually one partner who's much more symbolic and emotional and spiritual, and the other one who's much more sort of rational and, and, and in, you know, how do we deal with these problems right now? So that would be the number one underpinning point that I would take into long-term maintenance of a relationship. I'm going to backtrack just a hair. Before you do any of that, you have to ask yourself, are you willing to put in the work in this relationship to make it be the long-term one for you? Like, are there enough things about this relationship that you can envision yourself, you know, I don't know how old you are, but 50 years out, 25 years out, 75 years out, happy and fulfilled. And so what I see a lot of couples doing is one or the other partner is sort of, oh, I got this problem, I got that problem, but they've never answered that fundamental question. They've never fully committed with their heart, their mind, their soul, you know, their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual body. Once you physically commit, not physically, once you fully commit, then that's when it begins. Up until that point, you're just beating your head against the wall. You're never ever going to actually find a stable place in a relationship until you make a long-term commitment. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to break, you're, you're never going to break it and that you're going to stay together forever, but it means that you're much more likely to stay together forever because um, things change, you know, people change, the hormones change, you know, brains change, things change all the time, uh, um, you know, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. But the point is, is that if you're unwilling or unable to commit yourself fully in the moment, everything I'm telling you is not going to work. So that's step number one. Then comes the 50-50 stuff. Then comes the, when you're in conflict, this idea of finding those deep, deep, sacred places that the person's protecting. You can literally visualize them holding on to it. As you see you're having a conflict, they're like holding on to this thing. And the problem is, is you're talking all around this thing and you haven't gotten to it. And then the 50-50 thing comes back where you have to actually negotiate. You have to say like, so this is where the nonviolent communication stuff comes in, um, where you say, you know, this is what I request of you. I request, so a specific example in our relationship, I request that when we're talking about a topic that's important to me, that you allow me to apply my rational thought to it. And then, she, and then she would say yes or no. I mean, usually she says yes. Um, sometimes she says no or have, makes a counteroffer. Um, and I do the same. Um, and then if the answer is no, then we just kind of keep going. Not necessarily in that moment, but we keep trying to find a place where we have a common ground. It may be like, you know, when it comes to, uh, let's see, when it comes to, you know, my religion, um, I don't want you to apply your rational mind to it. I was like, okay, well then we can talk about that. But when it comes to my approach to my religion, you have to let me approach, uh, uh, put my, my rational mind to it. So um, that's just an example. It's not a very good example, but you get the point. It's an important area that you don't have to agree upon in the moment, but you have to find some common ground where you can express what's important to you. In my case, applying your rational mind to something. In my partner's case, being in those symbols and being in that dynamic of emotional sort of um, 
joy and body sensation that, that, that brings out that sort of um, sort of transcendent experience, actually a better way to put it. Like she didn't want me to trample on her transcendent experience, which is, wow, I don't want to trample anybody's transcendent experience. And I want to have the freedom to express my rational mind. So we keep negotiating that, keep finding the common ground. And so uh, it becomes very important when you're committed for the long term, you're committed to seeing your partner's really sacred places and honoring your own, um, that you pick your battles. You cannot, you, you don't try to win all the time. You, you have to yield. A lot of the time, um, especially if you're the more sort of outgoing, extroverted person, you have to yield to the other person because they're not going to necessarily express their needs. But, you know, and if you're in a dominant relationship or a, sub, a submissive part of your relationship, then you may have to express it more. But you have to really pick those battles. Um, you know, I know battle, nobody likes the term battle, but when it comes to establishing healthy boundaries, there is a bit of a warrior dynamic to it. Um, you do have to find the strength of the spiritual warrior inside of you that's going to, like Gandhi, hold a nonviolent position and say, like, you know, no, I, I can't allow you to suppress my mind anymore. I need to be able to express it. And I don't need to be able to express it in a way that causes you harm, but I need to be able to express it. Um, so, the next really critical part, um, these are sort of more techniques and tips. If you get in a heated conversation with your partner, your brain chemistry changes and you literally can't resolve anything. So you have to take a break. I'm not good at taking breaks. My partner can take breaks all day long. I'm not good at it. So I had to yield on that one. And that was straight out of John Gottman's studies, you know, scientific rigorous studies. Like the people who don't take breaks, they don't make it. The people who do take breaks, they make it. So I've yielded that because that was somewhere where I was lacking and it wasn't an important battle. I didn't need to keep the conflict going until I felt resolution in the moment. What I needed to do was practice feeling unresolved and allowing that to wash through me because I'm more of an extrovert and my partner's more of an introvert. So she had a much better capacity to just let, let a conflict wash through her and then come back to the table. And, and a lot of times it would be completely gone for her. And for me, there'd be all this residue. So it, one way is not right, one way is not wrong. We all have different ways that we process what we're going through. Um, but sometimes what's happening is you, let's, I'm just gonna speak from my side of the equation. If I'm, uh, I really want this to be resolved right now and I know what it feels like. And I know what it feels like to leave us both in an empowered, posi in a, in an empowered position. And I'm gonna wanna keep going until it's done. But then I realized after a number of times of doing this that if I keep trying to drive it, it's just gonna take twice as long. And it's gonna be more emotionally painful for her than it needs to be. For me, it's not that emotionally painful, but for her it is. So in that sense, I've actually taken some of the emotional pain on me away from her. Because emotionally, that wasn't fair. For me to try to drive home resolution all the time, it didn't harm me emotionally. Her, it harmed. So now we share that burden. She, another one of the sort of needs that we came up with was I had a need for resolution. She had a need for letting it rest for a while and, and picking more battles out. It wasn't very good at that. So, um, so that's the agreement that we made. I meet her halfway. 
I wait and I need I need a pretty specified amount of time. I'll wait, you know, an hour, two hours. I don't think we ever wait a day because things just get into residue on, on my side in a day and, I, and I'm sure on her side too. Um, but we would wait a specified amount of time. Usually a couple hours is fine. And the longer we've been doing this, the easier it's gotten over the long run. And it's, you know, 15 minutes, half hour, a shower later, just a little tweak and a shift in energy and we're there. So that's another critical important one is taking that break and then going back to always going back to that place of what is it that I'm holding on to that's really important to me. Not denying that. I find that so important in this sort of new age community, um, the sort of disciple community where you're looking to someone else to teach you. Um, there really are base needs and demands that you need to make. Um, I'm going to digress a little bit. I'm trying not to digress. My last video was all over the map, so I'm trying to be more focused, but I think this digression is important. There's also this idea in the New Age community or the, the alternative spiritual community, the psychological human potential move, movement, Buddhist movement, that, that somehow you have to dissolve the ego. Um, and that's not a complete picture. What first has to happen, and Gandhi says this in a very great way, is you first have to become independent. Now, how do you become independent? You actually establish a very powerful sense of self. What's a sense of self? It's an ego. So once you've defined and identified that powerful sense of self, and not the kind of self that harms others and looks to blame, but the kind of self that you can hold yourself by yourself and know who you are and take care of yourself, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then what happens once you reach that point, you realize, holy crap, this isn't true. I'm actually completely interdependent with everyone else in the environment around me. And then only after you've had that realization do you then begin the process of sort of deconstructing the parts of the self that are no longer valuable. If you don't build that self up, you never learn how to make those appropriate demands so that you have a healthy energetic body. A great way, some great research you can do is look into um, Gabor Mate's When the Body Says No. And he lays out an amazing argument of how all these people, without the ability to create emotional boundaries in their life, internalized it into their emotional gut, right? You you know, you get butterflies in your stomach. That's your emotional brain. They internalize it into their emotional brain and they get digestive disorders, they get cancers, they get all kinds of stuff. Um, so that's one side of that equation. The other side of that equation is that you, you never, you never learn to um, you're always, you're either always taking on somebody's negative energy that's dominating you or you are so um, unable to meet your own emotional, spiritual, physical needs that you're constantly tr blaming another and taking in an emotional draw from them. And that causes other disorders. I'm not sure if it causes gut disorders. My guess is that it causes skin disorders just from an anecdotal um, research that I've done and noticed the people that have that tendency, they tend to have skin issues. Um, some of them do. So anyways, that's, I digressed enough on that one. Uh, I'm just going to check in and see if there's anything really important that's coming up. Uh, I think I'm at a, I'm at 130 degrees, so I tend to lose my ability to think in complete sentences when I'm at 130 degrees. But the benefit is that sometimes 
I find something that I couldn't access if I was in comfort. One other thing that's been critical in my in creating a, uh, a healthy, loving, fun, uh, dynamic relationship is um, so there's this idea. So the idea of fully committing. So this is I'm going to backtrack all the way to the beginning. Before you decide whether you fully commit to someone or you're at least willing to fully commit to someone, that's a little slippery slope. So you have to believe that you're fully committing. You can't have a backdoor. That's another huge issue I see with people. They're like, I'm committed. We're getting married. I'm like, well, what happens if they get sick and you know stop? You have to care for them all the time. Like, well, I'm. I probably would, you know, get a divorce at that time, especially if they had good insurance and family that could take care of them. You know, that's a backdoor. Like, literally, are you willing to see this through no matter what? And that's, it, it may sound old-fashioned, but the beauty of the true, authentic, spiritual marriage ceremony is 100% commitment in the eyes of what you perceive to be the ultimate authority of the universe and in the eyes of your community. You don't have to do that, but it's an incredibly powerful structure to hold you to what you said you would do. Um, so without that commitment, you can have nothing. Prior to that commitment, you have to know where you're going to go in life and who you're going to go with. So if you're unclear of what you want in life, that may work as long as your partner is okay with you being unclear and you're both committed to going wherever you're going to go together. Um, I personally had to figure out where I was going to go because I have a very um, uh, rationally driven sense of self, at least at this point in my life. And so if I were to try to be with a partner that I was just going to blend into without having a direction, uh, it wouldn't have worked and I would have imploded. And I did. And my relationships imploded many, many, many times in the past when I tried to do exactly just that. Now, my partner, on the other hand, she knew where she was going to go, but I had a much more fixed and focused direction, and I laid that out for her. And she thought, wow, that's great. I want to go there. So then that's what we're doing. And it's super clear. You know, we're going to travel the world. We're going to have a family. We're a few months out. Not even a few months. We're a month and a half out from having our first kid late in life. 48 I am, 42 she is, but we're still doing that. And I told her that eight years ago, nine years ago, that's what I want. Um, and she, it took her seven years to be like, okay, you know, all right, I'm ready. Uh, and that's part of what I'm talking about is she wasn't ready for seven years, but she knew that's where I was going. And she eventually decided that that's where she wanted to go too. But it was her choice. And I kept reminding her that it was her choice. Um, so the point is, um, you either have to both be going in the sense, same direction, even if you're unclear, or uh, one of your one of, one or the other has to be okay and and want to go in the direction that the other person's leading from. Those are critical. Um, before I figured that out, I had you know bad relationship after bad relationship. The other critical factor, and I said this in another video, but it's worth repeating. If you're like me, and you're an open-hearted person, um, you may tend to give your heart to people that don't deserve it. Uh, and that was another foundational relationship, foundational lesson about relationships that I, uh, you know, took me 30, 
until my late 30s before I figured it out. Um, and the flip side of that is that you don't give your heart to anybody and you're sort of a, you know, either a, you know, a gigolo or the female equivalent where you're just constantly seeking short-term pleasure. Um, and obviously that doesn't work either. So to sum up, um, know what you want, where you're going to go. Um, choose, really choose. Figure out what is most sacred to each of you and uh, agree to honor those things in the best way that you can and keep renegotiating that until you both feel empowered. Threes, take breaks if you get heated with one another. Um, four would be, I didn't say this yet, but uh, to really be gentle with each other, we would like to say, we would say in our early relationship, um, and now it's just a given, is it's the job of the other person to hold the heart. So as you're having these difficult communications, literally imagine yourself holding the heart of your partner. And if you're doing that, then it will come to resolution much quicker. Uh, another great just sort of tool that just came to me is facing each other touching each other, you know, hands in hands, eyes in eyes. It tends to take both parties out of their head and, and in the sort of positions that they have, um, and that helps to get to resolution. Now, there's sometimes, me being the rational person, that I believe, and it's been my experience, that keeping some of that rational part of the conversation is very valuable um, and then creates a clearer and better resolution. Um, so we kind of go back and forth, but ultimately you got to get to the point where you're gonna, you're both willing to touch each other, look each other in the eyes, and then verbally communicate a resolution. Um, that's it for now. Thanks for watching. I know that was a long video, but, um, if you are committed to having a successful, happy, long-term relationship and you've struggled in the past, like I have this uh, and you apply this stuff, I know it will help. Um, I literally would be alone and lonely and depressed if I didn't do all these things. Um, so learn from my mistakes, you know, get the information of John Gottman, um, study some nonviolent communication, and I wish you the best of luck in your relationship. Please subscribe if you found this valuable. Please visit the website wildalive.net and subscribe to the newsletter. Um, because in that way, uh, I can send you, I don't send out much, but I can send you directly things that are important. You can ask me questions directly and I'll respond to them directly. It's nice not to have an intermediary. You know, YouTube owns basically what I'm doing on YouTube. So it's nice to bypass their ownership. And so we can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And you can tell me the same thing, 50-50. You can tell me how this is working and you can tell me how it's not working. Uh, and then we'll decide whether we can negotiate a relationship with one another uh, that's empowering for both of us. Uh, so thanks again. Have a wonderful day. And hopefully we'll see you again soon.